call What We Believe. And we have studied uh, the Bible as God's Word, how God reveals Himself. We've studied the Bible as the story, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, the story of the Gospel. The New Testament isn't just the container of the Gospel. The good news begins in Genesis 1, and it culminates in Revelation 22. The entire story of redemption is the story of the gospel. We unpacked Trinitarian teaching. We talked about Trinity and its implications on our fellowship with one another. We talked about mankind as the image of God. And then we talked about mankind and God's image and the implications for humanity and how we do ministry. We talked about creation. We talked about the fall. That was the heavy sermon. You remember that? We talked about God's plan, the cross. We talked about the gospel of the kingdom. We talked about this good news of the rule of Christ and his salvation. We talked about the church as the community of the kingdom of God. We talked about the church as the place of reconciliation. We talked about biblical eldership, God's way of governing the local church. And today we're going to wrap that up before we head into Advent next week with the restoration of all things, the wrapping up and the restoring of all things. Christianity carries big word. I know we have first through fifth grade in service today, right? If you're in first through fifth grade, don't you raise your hand. Let me see where you are. Look at y'all. Look at y'all. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. Now, I just want to say to you guys, I'm going to use some words that are bigger Right? But you can know those words. And you know how I know you can know those words? Because you are creating the image of Jesus Christ who created the world. And the image of Jesus in you, because you're made in His image, makes you capable of learning everything. There's nothing you can't learn. I'm a kid who was dyslexic. That's a big word. I know it means see letters and numbers backward. And that's hard. But you know what? Jesus is bigger than that. And He's fixing that in me because of the new creation. And if you can take a dyslexic kid from Silver Creek, Georgia, and give him a master's degree in which he carried a 3.5 GPA, you can learn big words, okay? I believe that. And so if I use a big word, first through fifth graders, I will do my best to describe it for you so you can learn it with me. And uh, and so here's a big word, big word alert, meta-narrative, okay? That, That word means it's the big story, right? It's the story. You know, there are stories, right? Little Red Riding Hood is a story. That the gospel, the good news in the Bible is thus, it's the big story. It's the story that gives meaning to every other story in created order. And that story is made up of four parts. Creation, there is one God, there are not many gods, there is one God and his name is Jesus. And that Jesus created absolutely everything that you see, smell, taste, and hear. But there's this thing called the fall. Sin entered through the means of rebellion, and it broke everything. Broke the air, broke the dirt, broke the fruit, broke the animals, broke us. Everything broke. Our relationship with God broke. Our relationship with each other broke. But the good news in all of that is that God set about a plan of redemption from the beginning, before He created everything. And it culminated in Him, Jesus Christ, coming and taking on flesh like us, And he lived a perfect sinless life. And he died in our place for our sin. And he was buried, but he rose on the third day. And he ascended back to the Father where he dispensed his Holy Spirit, gathered him again, gathering his church. 
And then the restoration of all things began. He set out reversing all of the brokenness in Genesis. And to this very day, you are living out the restoration of all things. I want to make this declarative statement before we jump into Revelation 21. You are in the restoration. You're in it. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Redemption isn't yet to be done. It's completed. When Jesus died and my sin and your sin and the world's sin was paid for, there's no more paying for. You, you can't pay anymore for sin. Jesus paid for sin. When they put him in the grave, the grave couldn't hold him. And he rose and he ascended and dispensed the spirit. And from that moment, we have been in the restoration of all things. My salvation, your salvation is the fruit of the completed work of Jesus and the beginning of the restoration of all things and bringing all things back under the rule of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said it like this, and if you've seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, better yet, read the books. They're better. It used to always be winter and never Christmas. But since Jesus died, was buried, rose, and ascended, and sent the Holy Spirit, spring has sprung, and it is always Christmas, and it is no longer winter. So the big idea... There's two big ideas I want to present to you from the first, the entire book of Revelation and then from Revelation 21. First big idea of the book of Revelation is this. That Jesus is revealing himself to his church as the end all and be all of all things. The ruling king, the everything, so that they will persevere. They'll keep going. They'll keep grinding out faithful obedience and holiness and staying on mission and not turn back when it's hard. The big idea in our passage today, which is Revelation 21, is that Jesus himself is going to bring about the completed restoration. The restoration has begun. And we're going to get to how we know that in just a few minutes. But Jesus is going to bring about the completion of that restoration and finish it off by saving a people for himself, making everything holy and new. And we... Us, in this room, Christians everywhere, are to believe in that truth and take courage in the middle of it so that we will stay faithful. So, you talk about hard for me this week, is just narrowing it to Revelation 21. But, been mildly successful. I put some notes for you online at the blog, MitchJolly.com. You can go and look at the title, The Restoration. And you can see the notes that I have for you this morning. Don't do that now. Go back and look later. But I want to start by giving you some tools to read the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation is going to say in chapter 1, blessed are the people who read the words in this book. Right? Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So if, if the promise of God's word is that blessed are the people who read this out loud and keep it, then maybe we ought to read it 
make sense of it, and keep it so that we would be blessed, right? And so we're, I'm going to give you some tools so you can read it, read it out loud at the house with, with each other, in your small groups, in your radical life groups, who you're discipling. Don't, don't stay away from this book. It's not that complicated. All right? So I'm going to give you a few tools to help you. Then we're going to look at Revelation 21. I wouldn't normally do this, but if I'm asking you to go read Revelation, I need to give you some tools to read Revelation, okay? Otherwise, you may do crazy stuff with it, like write a book series and try to turn it into a movie about things that's not. So, Revelation's title, Revelation apostrophe S, not Revelations without an apostrophe. It's not, the book is not Revelations. It's Revelation. Because there aren't many revelations, there's one revelation. The word revelation is actually the word apocalypse. And no, not zombie apocalypse. Uh, zombies have nothing to do with the apocalypse. That's TV making. That's good movie making. There's some good movies. Y'all don't have to go watch those first through fifth graders. But for us big people, some pretty good movies on that stuff, right? But that's not what apocalypse means, right? Not what it means. The word apocalypse literally means revealing. Therefore, the title, the Greek word is apocalypse. And in English, we say revelation, one revelation. Why? Because it is the revealing of the singular Jesus Christ, the one God, the creator, Jesus Christ, the revealing of him as he is. Not the crucified Messiah, but the risen, reigning creator, king of the universe. All of Revelation comes underneath that heading that Jesus is king and there is no other. Okay? So he is the one that the elders bow down and worship. He's the one who sees the book that's sealed with seven seals. He's the one who opens the book because he alone has the authority to open those seals. And as he opens it, he makes it happen. Stuff ain't happening to him. He's bringing it about. So Revelation's title, Revelation, is the revealing of Jesus as he is. Now, Apocalypse... As a genre of writing, and yes, genre, that's a style of writing, kind of matters, right? Like if you're reading fiction, it ain't real. We all know that. If you're reading history, it's real. So does it matter what kind of genre you're reading? Yeah. I'm going to give you a title. I'll give you a little thing here. All right, ready? Indians kill tigers. What does that headline mean? Well, it depends on what section of the website you read it on. If you read it on the world news section of the tab, say you go to bbc.com and you would see Indians kill tigers and you, you read that on the world news tab, there may be some people in India who are slaughtering Bengal tigers and this is a preservation of created order issue. But if you go to ESPN.com during baseball season, you read Indians kill tigers, you can surmise that the Cleveland Indians just absolutely spanked the Detroit Tigers. Right? Same words, same title, different meanings. Why? Genre. Genre matters. Genre matters. When you come to the Revelation, it is a different kind of writing. This kind of writing was popular from about 300 B.C. to roughly 300 A.D.-ish, give or take some years on each end. And it's absolutely full of symbolism and when it comes to the biblical apocalypse, like the book of Daniel, some of Zechariah, uh, all of Revelation, it is dominated by biblical symbolism. You see some patterns. Conflict of God versus evil. 
and by no means is evil equal to God. Jesus sits as the reigning king over it. There is a conflict, but he rules over it. You see, Jesus is the determining factor in all things. You're going to see that suffering and difficulty always precede victory. Which is why you're going to hear the Lord say over and over again, Blessed are those who hang, hang tough. This is for your instruction because hard time is coming. You also learn that that suffering is also redemptive. It's never purposeless. You're going to learn that the end is near. Like the end is, is, is out there, nearby. So you're going to find this thread of hope that runs through it. Yes, you will find that this thread of hope. And it comes out in like Revelation 22.20 where John says, Come, Lord Jesus. Not in the sense of, oh gosh, I can't handle it anymore. That's not how John says it. John doesn't say, come Lord Jesus, like I'm at the end of my rope. John, in exulting worship, says, come on Jesus. Come on. Right? And so that, that's that thread of hope. Revelation, as, a, as an apocalyptic letter here, was written to the seven churches of Asia and to us today to encourage us to holiness so, so one of the things you're going to see in this book as you read it is there's, there's a pushing to be holy, be righteous, to be ready, which is going to mimic and mirror Jesus' parables. Be ready, be ready, be ready. It's going to encourage perseverance in this conflict between the kingdom of God and the inferior and fading away kingdom of darkness as we obey the Lord's command to be on task and be on mission. Chapters 1 to 3 are very much going to read like a letter because it is an introduction, an apocalyptic introduction to what they're about to read in chapters 4 to 22, which is going to be pure apocalyptic genre. Now, here's the key. You ready? And we're about to jump into our chapter. We say this all the time, don't we? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. The key to Christian discipleship, the very first thing, and this is why around the world... This is why on the field, the first thing we have to do to new believers is get the scriptures in their language, put a Bible somehow in their hands, because it's in the manual. How to follow Jesus is in the manual. It's written in God's Word. The key to understanding Revelation is to know your Old Testament like the back of your hand. I lost count on the number of Old Testament references just in Revelation 21 alone. And so even in my notes, I give you one or two. Otherwise, it would be a hundred pages of footnotes on Old Testament allusions. And the key to making sense of so much of this is knowing your Old Testament so well that when you read across that, you're like, oh my gosh, that's Zechariah. Oh, that's Ezekiel chapter 40. That's crazy like tour Ezekiel gets at the end of the book of Ezekiel as he's touring this new temple. That's right here. Yeah, what's this tour of this temple about? Well, John's telling you what it's about. So the key is to have your eyes in the manual. So, Revelation 21. Here we go. The restoration of all things. You ready? This is crazy. You ready? You there. Everybody good? First or fifth grade, you good? You good? Y'all good? Alright, here we go. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Glory. For the first heaven and the first... That glory's not there. I read that. That was me praising, right? Sorry. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Let me explain that in just a second. Hang tight. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Glory. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. Mm. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now we just read about that a minute ago, didn't we? Right? Prepared as a bride. Hold on to that. Verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates and the north three gates and the south three gates and the west three gates you ought to be smelling Ezekiel chapter 40 through Ezekiel chapter 48 right and the wall of the city had 12 foundations that's a lot of foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city my measuring tapes are not gold they're Stanley, and they're aluminum and plastic, right? And he had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square. It's square, right? Now, that's important because in Ezekiel, the temple is rectangular, but the one thing that's square is the Holy of Holies, where God's at. This entire city, this entire people, perfectly square, meaning he's with us, right? He's physically present. And he measured the city with his rod, his solid gold Stanley measuring tape, 12,000 stadia. That's a long way. That's roughly 1,380 miles. Notice the people of God are numerous. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by measurement, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Glad to know that. They measure... Whatever, it's centimeters, meters, inches, whatever, it's the same. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear, like clear glass. That's some pure gold. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, second sapphire, third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the, and the, street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. 
And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. The Holy of Holies, we are it. And He is with us and around us and no longer having to be in us because He's with us. Mm. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. Nations aren't going away. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. This smells like Eden without sin, doesn't it? Sounds like the mission accomplished. The creation mandate, Genesis 1, 26-28. The earth filled and subdued and functioning without sin. Because that's what it is. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. And now the nations rage and they plot in vain against the sun. You smell Psalm 2? You ought to be, right? They plot in vain. No more plotting here. They are submissive and in sinless glory bring the abundance of their produce to the Lord Jesus. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's Revelation 21. Now with seven hours worth of preaching and classroom lecture... Let's try to get a few points and some application. Number one, verse one to four. In this completed new creation, evil is gone. No more evil. And the holy people of God, the church, the redeemed, the saved, those who repented and believed, will be present with and presented to the Lord Jesus. Verse one says nothing about the hydrology of new creation. Notice it says here, the first broken created order has passed away. And the next statement is, the sea was no more. Good news. That doesn't mean we won't have water anymore. When you read the book of Revelation, I want you to pay attention to this one fact. Well, this fact here. There are like millions of facts you need to pay attention to. Hyperbole, but lots of facts. But here's a fact to pay attention to here. In Revelation, bad things come out of the water. Dragons, frogs, serpents, bad things that cause harm. So when John is saying to them here, Jesus is giving John this to pass on to the churches. He's giving John this for us. Jesus is telling us evil will be abolished. No more bad stuff. Bad stuff gone, wiped out. So in the created order, when it's completed, Jesus will have done away with all evil. Verse 2, the holy city, this new Jerusalem, is the bride of verse 9. It's the church described in Ephesians 5.22-23, which is why Ephesians 5.22-33 is first and foremost not about marriage. My wife, Jennifer, and I just did this at the marriage conference at Snowbird. And some of you guys were there for that. We talked about marriage as sanctification. Okay? Because the first, the first thing about Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 is not marriage. It's about Jesus and His church. And therefore, marriage then comes underneath that as a, 
as, as something that points us to the truth of Jesus and his church. So in this passage here, what we see is this bride, this Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 bride, this new Jerusalem is none other than the people of God. It's those who have repented and believed the gospel and come underneath the banner of Jesus' church. That's what we are. We are the bride of Christ. We are the people of God who through repentance and faith have had the banner of the covenant nature of God put on us and He calls that His church. And He brings us to that place of completion. And we see here that He brings us down from God, prepared and prepared for the husband. Who's the husband? Jesus. So many things we could do here. Number one, it's God who does the work of saving us. We came down from and God prepared and adorned. Who's fixing his church? Who's saving his church? None other than the God of the universe, Jesus. When he completes us, when he finishes restoration, he will bring us down to unite us finally and fully and perfectly with Jesus. Glory. Then this angel makes an announcement, verse 3 and 4. God himself will be physically present with his people and he will completely heal all that is broken. This loud voice proclaims, Behold, take a look, the dwelling place of God is finally, fully, and completely with man. Right now we wrestle with what we don't see. Right? Faith we don't see with our eyes. We see by faith. Right? The day is coming when created order is finally and fully set right that our faith will become sight. Because the Lord himself comes to be physically present with his people. He dwells with them. He will be their God. We will be his people. He wipes away every tear from our eyes. Death's no more. No mourning, crying, pain. Because all those former things passed away. If you get familiar with the book of Zechariah, you'll see him a lot in the book of Revelation. Verse 3 and 4 is pulling hard on Zechariah 2.10 where he said, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. So there's a call here for us in the new created order, which by the way, you're in it right now. The church is the community of the kingdom, the rule of Jesus Christ being renewed. We have a mandate biblically to sing. It's not optional. Which is why we sing in Christian worship services. The theology of singing is because God said, this is what rejoicing new created order does. Brokenness refuses to sing. Sin refuses to sing. Right? And for those of us, and you hear me say this a lot, I don't sing pretty, but I scream. And I like to get close to the speakers so I can sing and scream loudly so you usually can't hear it. And if you do, I might hit a note every now and then. But it's out of obedience, not out of beauty. And the beautiful thing is the Lord looks at that, and you'll see this in just a moment. He says, my people are beautiful, whether you scream, sing, or not. Verse 5 to 8, God himself now speaks, and he makes three bold statements. Verse 5, here's his statement. And he who was seated on the throne said, God speaks. Verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. Statement number 2, 
He says, write these things down because they are trustworthy and true statements. God himself speaks and he says, at this moment, I'm going to speak and completely and fully renew created order. I wish we could go back and do Revelation chapter 20 at the judgment in verse 11 through 15 where created order just kind of fades away. And Revelation 21 starts with the new heaven and new earth just kind of coming into existence. I don't know how that works metaphysically. I would, we're going to see it, but my, my imagination like runs wild. Because I see in my mind melting created order. This is what I see. This is not in the text. This is my imagination. Like it just goes away and then boom, new heaven, new earth. I see the Lord speaking. And notice, and this is important, the Lord says it. He speaks it. How does he create things in Genesis 1 and 2? He says it. He speaks it. God speaks. He decrees and all created order has to obey. Which shows us multiple things about the Lord. Number one, his word is powerful. Which is why the Bible, God's word is central to the life of a Christian. God speaks. We have it, we hear it, and we do it because God's word is powerful, supernatural. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than two-edged sword, right? It penetrates the division of soul, spiritual joint and marrow, and judges the thoughts and tensions of the heart. Which is why the scripture is the first thing we've got to get in us as new Christians. It's because the word of the Lord is powerful, so he speaks. I'm making all things new. So he speaks, it obeys. You ever notice something? Humans are the only thing on the planet that when the Lord speaks, we go, hmm, I don't think so. God speaks gravity into existence and it never goes, no, I don't think I'll be 9.8 meters per second squared. I think it'll be 9.8 meters per second cubed. It doesn't do that. God says gravity, it says, okay. God says, make disciples. We're like, "Mm, maybe later. Right? In the new created order, God says, I'm making it new. And all this stuff goes away and boom, new heaven, new earth. Because it obeys. Listen, one of the first lessons you ought to learn as a Christian is when the Lord says something, simply do it. Just do it. It's in the manual. Just do it. Right? It says pray without ceasing. Figure it out. (coughs) Right? Learn to pray without ceasing. He didn't tell you how to do it. He just says do it. Meaning as you go through your day, you've got to figure out when you're driving how to pray. Which means you don't lay down a carpet and bow some direction. Drive your car, but call on the Lord, right? When you're at the house watching the football game, ask Jesus to let Tack McKinley play today, right? Let Matt Ryan have a good... I'm just kidding. I don't know if the Lord answers those prayers. Maybe he does. I pray like he does. I'm trusting he does. But some direction, right? We pray without ceasing because, because he told us to do it, right? He speaks, I'm making all things new. And then he tells him, write this down because my words are trustworthy and true. The word of God is is true. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The Lord speaks, says, write this down, John, because this is trustworthy. You can bank on this, buddy. This is true. And then we see here this third statement, verse 6 to 8. He says, it is done. It's done. What's done? We see four things the Lord gets done here. It's completed. It's his identities forever made known. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It's done. You now know I'm the beginning, I'm the middle, and I'm the end. I'm everything. The great sin in the life of humanity is to treat the Lord as though he is a means to an end. That he is a sugar daddy to get me somewhere else. It's done. I'm Alpha, I'm Omega. I'm beginning, I'm end. I'm the end, and I'm how you get there. 
He makes his identity known forever as the beginning, the middle, and the end. He's the everything. He also tells us here that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are finally going to have their thirst quenched. The Lord said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Here, to the thirsty, to the thirsty, I'm going to let them drink. And drink till they're satisfied. You should smell the Beatitudes here. Because Jesus is the one who gave us the Beatitudes. He's the one talking to John and John's relaying it to us. Remember that hunger and thirst for righteousness? When I finish it up, I'm going to let you drink. Just get after it. Have all the righteousness you can stand. Wow. Which is why the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Have at it. Gorge yourself on it. Third thing he gets done is those who have believed and stayed with Jesus have their identity finally fully solidified as daughters and sons of God. That's a theological reality right now. If you're in Christ, you're a daughter and son of God. And one of Satan's greatest tools is to attack our identity. And name us by our results and our vocation. Name us as success or failure. Name me as jolly before I am Christ's. Our identity will finally and fully be set. And there will be no more attacks on that. Christ's. One of the things that wrecks me the most is living out of an identity that's a lie. When I can fully settle in my soul that I am Jesus's and that's what I'm called by, that's who I am, sin becomes a little harder to acclimate to. Because I'm not acting out of sinner, I'm acting out of Christ's. I'm not an orphan, I'm a son. We get verse 8. It's not the most pleasant What's done also, those who have not repented and believed and turned their backs on Jesus and gone their own way will not be there. Only sad news here in this passage is that those who refuse to believe in Jesus or turn their backs on him will not be in this place. Not going to be there. Which gives us this urge. We'll get to this in our applications. I know i got to hustle. There needs to be an appeal on the part of the people of God to invite people in. Because if they will not turn to Jesus, they will not be here. And they will not be part of this perfectly square people of God that He dwells with forever. Those people aren't going to be there. Verse 9 to 27, going to cover a lot of ground very quickly. I want you to see this overarching reality of verse 9 to 27, all right? Jesus himself, God himself, is the real treasure of the new creation. The new creation itself is not the treasure. Jesus, God himself, is the treasure. Why don't you listen to this? I'm going to read you something from Dr. Uh, Jim Hamilton, professor at Southern Seminary, and uh, wrote preaching the word, wrote several uh, things in preaching the word commentary series. I want you to listen to what he says about verse 9 to 27. 
He just captures it beautifully. The treasure in the new heaven and new earth is God. Look at how casually what is treasured by sinful hearts is used in the new heaven and new earth. Do you hear that sentence? Look at how casually what is treasured by sinful hearts, like gold and pearls and precious stones, look at how casually what is treasured with a sinful heart is used in the new heaven and new earth. They take the largest pearls in the world and make them gates. Then they leave the gates open, even though the city is made of pure gold. And they have the audacity to take all that jasper and build it into a wall. All that gold and use it to pave streets. All this shows that the real treasure of the new heaven and the new earth is God himself. <laughs> wow! Wow! Simple hearts say, give me the gold. And God says, let's pave the streets with it. Because it's not the treasure. I am. And we will not rebel against that. There will be no, but Lord, let me hide a bar of that silver under my tent like Achan and Joshua. Let me hoard a little bit more. Let me get a little bit of that jasper for myself. That's gone. That's done away with. Our hearts will be so changed that we'll be glad to pave the streets with gold because the treasure is there with me. Jesus is by my side. And we're together. And there's no more question that can't be answered. My faith has become sight. I don't need pearls anymore. That's new created order. This section describes the beauty of the church because this city is us we're the city by the way we we are the people but we're not the point and its treasures aren't the point so we won't misuse each other anymore we won't abuse each other anymore we won't take from each other anymore we'll be in constant giving mode and there won't be anything missing from our lives which, by the way, that's true now, too. Proverbs, he withholds what he ought to give and gets poorer. That ain't no health and wealth stuff. That's Bible. What's coming and what is, is generosity. And that's the key. As a matter of fact, you want to get over your sin, give more. How does Paul say it in 2 Corinthians? The person who sows their seed of giving, increases the harvest of their righteousness. Prosperity teachers tell you, you increase your seed and giving, God gives you more money. That's a lie. The Bible tells you, you increase your giving, and you might get over that sin issue, and be poor, and be okay with it. Because that's what's happening right here. All the gold going on the streets. Don't need none in my pocket, because I got Jesus. That's, that's the reality of the kingdom, y'all. But how do we live? We live like I need to get more gold and get more stuff. Because Jesus isn't enough. It's not how it works in the kingdom, man. But real quickly, I want to go. God, it's 1147. Help me, Jesus. I'm having too much fun and time is flying by. 
How does Jesus get all this done? Look, look at this. I just got to give you verse 9 to 14. I, I got to explain something here about the gates and the foundations. This beautiful church that is lavishly spent on other things, us, our lives poured out for Jesus, is contrasted with chapter 17, verse 1 to 4. I don't want you to go back and read because that's the evil people. The evil city destroyed. And as a matter of fact, it's the exact same language. Chapter 21, 9 to 14 is contrasted with 17, 1 to 4. And the people of God are elevated and evil is thrown out. The high mountain here in this passage is taken from Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 1 to 3, where Ezekiel sees this new temple. So what Ezekiel was seeing back then is looking forward to us now and us as we will be when it's fully completed. These 12 foundations and these 12 gates are key to understanding the unity of the people of God. You notice you got some gates with the 12 tribes and foundations with the 12 apostles. What in the world does that mean? That's a lot of gates and a lot of foundations. He's showing us the unity of the gospel in the Old and New Testament. The tribes and the apostles, one people, one city. I mean, the people of God in the Old Testament believed by faith just like we believe by faith. They did not get saved by law. Read Galatians. The gospel saves people in Genesis 1, and it saves us in Revelation 22 and everybody in between. The people of God are made up of those who are the faith of Abraham because of Jesus. One body, right? The church is going to be made perfect and beautiful, overflowing with abundance. Look at all this stuff. It's just spent. Right? Beautiful. The church is the beautiful people of God. I got to spit. I got to go. I just, I, I'm going to have to leave all those points behind. You can go look at the notes. The church is the beautiful people of God. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing will restrict us from coming to the Lord to see Him. And we will bring the fruit of our labor to Him for His glory and our fulfilled joy. Verse 25 to 26. Verse 27. Again, only those who are His are going to be there. I had to skip over a lot. But when we get to application, give me two and a half minutes. Here we go. Number one, what do we do with this? What do we do with Revelation 21, the new creation? Number one, and all these are things you got to believe. Okay? Sometimes, listen, i got to say this. Give me five minutes. Sometimes we get, sometimes we get, a, little, we get a little in our feelings about application. Nowhere does the Bible tell me my chief concern is you having something tangible to walk away and do. Never. It's not there. What you will find over and over and over and over again is my people don't know. My people don't know. My people don't know. They have shepherds who feed themselves on lies. Who will tell the truth? Who will teach them over and over and over and over? Nowhere is the Bible concerned with me giving you five things to go do today. But it lists innumerable things you and I need to know and believe. Why? Because intimately, intrinsically connected to what we really believe will be actions that flow out of those beliefs. This is the, this is the limitation of public speaking. Is there's no way I can get down to the dark corner of the backside of your heart and you can't mine. 
but the Holy Spirit can. And when He makes application Himself of His Word that is taught to my heart and yours, He'll make us act. That's what Evan referred to. That promise in Ezekiel and Jeremiah will take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll cause you to walk in my ways. I'll show you what you need to do. So I don't want to tell you what to do right now. I want to tell you what you need to believe according to this passage, okay? Good? All right, here we go. Number one, there's only three. One, you need to believe that you, us, together, are already the first fruits of the new creation if we're in Christ and that the new creation has already begun. I love the image in the movies, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When Aslan returns, what happens? The thaw starts and trees start budding. <laughs> I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 because Paul is referencing when he preaches that passage to the Corinthians, Isaiah, he's preaching from Isaiah 43. He's preaching from the Bible. He's preaching from Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 65. You go read those passages. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is now Christmas and no longer winter. When the gospel lands in a dark place, it brings light. When it lands in fruitlessness, it brings fruit. It kills the curse and brings life. And if you're in Christ, you are the first buddings of the thaw. And, and, here, and, and here's some, listen. We live in a supernatural kingdom. And the gospel's powerful. And the implication on us believing that the new creation has come and we're first fruits of it are supernatural implications with our preaching of the good news, our evangelism. I know that's a word that we all don't like because it means like, oh, i got to tell people about Jesus. Ah. Listen. You ain't got to make nothing happen. It's already happening. (laughs) The budding is not your responsibility. The Lord's already making that happen. And what you do is you tell the gospel to peel back dark layers to reveal what God's already bringing. That make sense? And you do it by twos. Never do it alone. Jesus sent them out two by two. So, So just with a couple people, just start having conversations with people and see what the Lord's doing. He already went there before you. He got there long before you got there. He's waiting on you to join him on mission. You're already the first fruits of new created order. And he's got fruits budding all over our city in the dark places. The problem is most of us Christians are concerned with gathering in a worship service to get more song, better talking, more youth ministry, more children's ministry, more stuff, more stuff. Give, give, get. I'm not interested in paving the streets with gold. I'm interested in getting more gold. This is why consumer Christianity is dead. Is because it's not the kingdom. It's getting, getting, getting. Revelation 21 says we're paving the streets with that stuff. Right? So find a dark place and go. Jesus beat you there. Alright? Alright. Number two. You need to believe that the church then is made up of the first fruits, us, of the kingdom of God and is being prepared from us to be with Jesus on mission together. The church is made up of all these first fruits, individuals that come into the people of God and is being prepared as the people of God to be on mission with Jesus together. We dare not 
we dare not miss the importance of the local church. This city, this square city that's beautiful is the people of God. It's the church. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Jesus is working through his church. He ain't working through anything else. Members connected to a local church. Jesus' vehicle is the church. We don't like that in American life. We want to stay out of the church. And I'm telling you, Jesus is only fixing his church. And he's saving people, bringing them into the church. You need to believe that. That's in the manual. Right? He's describing in 9 to 27 the church. And third and finally, believe this. I don't know about you, but they're just dark days, right? I don't know about you, sometimes I can't see the forest for the trees. I'm staring at this particularly ugly tree that's causing me problems. It's bitter. It's dark. It's hard. It needs to fall down, but it won't fall down. My axe bounces off. I'm trying to cut this tree down, and all my axe does is bounce off the tree. Sometimes we need to let the Bible help us step back and believe the truth. And here's what I want you to believe. I want you to see this. That what Jesus has begun, he will bring it to Revelation 21 completion. Not you, not me. Don't need my axe. Philippians 1.6. It seems like I've been coming back to Philippians 1.6 a lot lately. I'm sure of this. I'm glad Paul's sure because sometimes I'm not sure. I'm like, hmm. Sight's better than faith right now. My sight tells me tree ain't falling. That's where I dwell a lot. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. What work? What work? New creation work. Will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He will get it done. Now about you, but our response needs to be, at least for me this morning, I need to worship. So I want to invite you to sing together to honor the Lord who will bring about the completed new creation. Let's pray and we're going to sing. Father, in Jesus' name, we would love your help to help us sing well this morning. Not sing good, but well in that our hearts are fully engaged and and we are singing to you to bring thanks, as Pastor Emmett reminded us, to bring thanksgiving, to bring praise to you because you are worth it. Lord Jesus, I thank you that even in that, you are doing new creation work. So Lord, I pray that even now, as we come to sing to you, that uh, that you would overcome lies that keep us from participating in that new creation work. Would you do that? Anything that stands opposed to us bringing praise and thanks to you, would you knock it down in love and grace and help us to obey right now for our good for our joy for your glory so i pray even in this moment you have ministered to souls down in those back corners those dark places of our heart would you take your word make it a lamp and a light and reveal fix and heal and make right do all those good things for your glory for our joy take us a little further into christ and to bring about a little more created goodness and new creation in us. Would you do those things this morning we pray in Jesus' name?